From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, September 27th, 2018. This is episode number 73, The Crocodile is Changing Its Diet. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am your host, Jason Snell, and I'm joined this week by three, count them, three wonderful guests, all of whom have been on before, and we're happy to have them back. Editor at IT Pro Today, Lisa Schmeiser, is back. Hello. Hello. Welcome back from Florida. Where we have there's some commonality here. There's we're going to talk about things that happened in whatever happened in Orlando does not stay in Orlando. It comes <laughs> yes. on to download apparently. So we'll, we'll be talking about various theme parks and also mm-hmm. Microsoft apparently. Not unlike a theme park. <laughs> yeah, sure. Microsoft. Why not? Uh, consumer tech analyst at Creative Strategies. Also recently back from Florida, Carolina Milanese. Hello, welcome back. Thank you very much. I got we got the all star team. You'd think you're like Lisa and Carolina on the same episode. This is the best. This is the best episode of download. <laughs> What if it was even better because video game uh, superstar and host of Remaster on Relay FM, Shahid Kamal Ahmad, is also here. Shahid, welcome. What an astonishing introduction and totally false. (laughs) Deny everything. Fine, deny everything. You know the truth. Um, All right. Stephen Hackett, who is not here, helped me put the show together this week. So thank you, Stephen Hackett. Let's get down to it. These are the most interesting stories of the week as picked by me and Stephen. And our first topic is Microsoft. The Ignite and Envision conferences that Microsoft holds uh, were in Orlando, Florida this week, which is why Lisa and Carolina were both in Florida, and uh, and we appreciate that uh, that our two guests who are unfortunate to spend time in Florida this week are here. Sorry, Florida, I had to say. <laughs> Microsoft is a company in transition. Its most profitable line of business is still its traditionally PC-related stuff, but the cloud and business offerings are the ones that are growing. Um, Lisa, I-, I wanted to throw this to you first, and we'll see where it goes. Like, where where is Microsoft going? Like, we we uh, we've talked about it before. Like. It is not a company that we need to think of as Windows and Surface. Like, there are lots of new frontiers that Microsoft seems to be uh, skating toward, as it were. You know, you mentioned that it's a company in transformation. And I think in terms of where it's making its money, that's probably true. uh, Because if you look at its three main lines of business, the one that still has the highest overall net revenue quarter after quarter is the more personal computing segment, which encompasses Windows 10 and their OEM device uh, area. So they've got service making money for them. And like you said, the cloud segments are growing. So if, when you look at Microsoft by the numbers, it's still a Windows and hardware company. However, um, the revenue from the other two segments, if you put them together, and those other two segments include its Azure line of business, and then it's Microsoft 365 services, like you put those two together, and they now finally out earn um, the third window segment. And those other two segments have been growing faster. So I would argue that Microsoft has actually pretty successfully transitioned already to um, a company where the business can best be described as pervasive and ubiquitous computing, where between the cloud services they're offering and um, now the big focus on AI. The keynote this year was notable because what it talked about was where the company plans on going next. And where that is, is towards a model of computing where it's all about being able to manipulate data 
period. Like computing is data and, and, and data manipulation. They like to call it digital transformation. And um, what it really comes down to is them saying, you're going to change how you work. Stop thinking in terms of desktops, apps, and being able to master a specific sequence of keystrokes within an app to get something done. Start thinking in terms of uh, what tasks you want to apply to your data and what you're going to get out of that. They're doubling down on AI hard. And that was the messaging that we got over and over again in keynotes and in private events is that they see the next big step in computing as the ability to um, access to, to uh, enter large pool, to enter large amounts of, of data into a big pool to access that pool, to synthesize that information and to uh, create actionable items for people to then work on, on top of that. As I monologue away. No, I, I just, I was about to say you said it better than they, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So what was interesting is a lot of the old, old guard Microsoft, not Microsofties, but people who really loved Windows and people who are really big into personal computing had a really negative reaction to the keynote. Um, a lot of the folks I was sitting in the press section, the ones who are super psyched about devices and really loved Windows were like, wow, this is a real nothing burger of a keynote. And I saw that on Twitter as well. And I thought, no, this is actually kind of a big deal. Um, especially since what they've been setting us up for this message for the last two or three years at ignite. But this year they were really pretty explicit with it. And then they concluded at the end, um, which I thought was pretty radical for a tech company. Um, the quote was, we want to ensure the surplus that's created by digital technology is equitably distributed throughout society. And to draw a really bright, clear line between technology and the effect it has on society. I thought it was notable that that this positioning is happening right now, but unsurprising if you've read Nadella's uh, book. I thought throughout the event, um, you couldn't but walk away thinking that Microsoft is becoming the defender of a better digital world in a way. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they're doing so much, uh, and, and I think they're putting not just, you know, they're walking the walk, not just talking the talk when it comes to AI, um, and making sure that is not just their initiative, AI for goods and uh, for good and AI for, um, humanity, but it is they are super conscious about how important to get this right is for the mm-hmm. future, right? Um, and um, I was there till yesterday, so I was able to catch the Envision keynote that is always mm. a little bit more visionary than not business focused. And, and I, I'm a fan of, of, of Brad Smith. Just I like how he speaks. And, oh, me too. You know, mm. it, it's like a good man. <laughs> I saw an RS, not to interrupt, I saw an RSA keynote with him a couple of years ago where he... Um, talked a whole lot about digital about um, digital warfare and the responsibilities of companies versus the responsibility of governments. This is clearly something that the company has been percolating on for a while. Yeah, anyway, absolutely. Yeah. And and that came across again, you know, this, this idea of a Geneva Convention in the digital world and, and how important it is to focus on this. And I was like, it's not just a lip service to all of this. Uh, you know, Microsoft is very committed. But, you know, to, to, the, very, to the very key point that you made about, you know, the people that follow Microsoft more from a hardware perspective and, and, and Windows perspective versus the bigger uh, company. And, you know, I would put myself in that um, because that's where I started my coverage. But if you cover hardware today, you cannot uh, miss the crucial change that the whole industry is going through where 
the whole experience is important. It's not just about the hardware. And part of that experience, and more and more so going forward, will come from data, yours or third-party data, and the cloud. So, you know, from an enterprise, that's very clear. But even from a consumer play, that should be clear. The ability of picking up whatever device whenever you want, you know, this push that Microsoft is now having with making Windows play nice with, well, definitely Android, and then as nice as they can with iOS for the limitation that iOS puts on them. This is where they're going, the ability to actually focus on computing, which is what you want to do. And precisely like you said, the data and not which tool you're using to get to it. How does that PC business factor in though? Because because the fact is, although I think Lisa has done a really good job of explaining how Microsoft is making this cultural shift, an internal cultural shift in terms of what Microsoft is about, the fact is their most profitable part of their business is their kind of legacy PC related business. And they Mm -hmm. are trying to innovate there. They are trying to do new hardware, lots of, especially the Surface line. This is stuff Microsoft didn't Mm -hmm. used to do. It is integrated. So as somebody who, you know, both in the jobs that I've had over the years and the things that I've observed, like there is a real challenge in having your company focus over there while you're over here doing this thing that in this case is the the financial engine for the company, but is not the future, is not the culture. So what what is this? I, I, I wonder what you all think about like where Microsoft goes with its PC business. Is it dangerous? Is it da- well, yeah, but is it dangerous to have their cultural change? Does that threaten what they're trying to do with the PC business? I don't think so. Um, and here's why I don't think so. When Nadella took over, one of the first things he did was he helped refocus everybody, uh, both in terms of developing products and selling products by saying, we are moving to a model where it's mobile first, cloud first computing. And, um, you can argue that's helped strap a rocket engine to the surface, which drove a lot of the last quarter's extraordinary results for the more personal computing section. But what that also did is that helped break everybody both internally and on a customer side away from the model that computing begins with the desktop and that mobile devices merely augment or extend computing. You know, in Carolina can disagree, she, uh, she could disagree or explain where I'm wrong. But I think when you look at the people who are coming into the workplace now, these are people who grew up on phones and on iPads. And for them, computing is a more diffuse experience. They don't think my computer is my primary hub, my phone and my iPad are my phone and my tablet are extensions of that. Like for them, the phone or the tablet may be what they think of as their first line for any sort of computing related task. So when Adela said mobile first, cloud first, uh, he was setting up the expectation and the idea that even hardware is a more diffuse environment at this point. And even as they focus on things like um, the cloud and AI, they're also integrating hardware into that experience. Uh, I don't, it hasn't gone out to the market yet, but when you look at how they're working with HoloLens and providing uh, tools that will help people in specific workplace situations with things like remote learning, remote support, um, manipulating things in space, so on and so forth, the company still foundationally has a view of of a whole ecosystem where they've set up. They're not going to say, oh, hardware no longer exists because all computing is just floating through through the air as ambient data. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what they're saying is that the idea of computing where there is the computer and then everything flows in and around in and out and around 
that that's that's done. Um, we've we've moved from like almost a spoken hub model to a much more um, atomistic and, dif- and diffused way. That that would be my answer to it. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> I, that's I a relief <laughs> since you come, you're, you're, you're the harder person. <laughs> well, no, but that's what that's what I was getting at before. Is the 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 thing that I think people are misunderstanding. You know, the change that you've had throughout Microsoft from an organizational perspective and Terry's departure in particular doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they're defocusing from Windows. I personally think that they were talking too much about Windows in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they're getting at now is that Windows is the um, kind of blood in the vein, if you like, that mm-hmm. goes through your whole body, right? But it's not the talking point. And to be honest, it's not where the value is going to come from. That's stable state. You know, DOS doesn't matter in a way because you're, you're either a Windows person, an Android person, or uh, an iOS person, right? That is kind of being established was out of the three platforms and what matters is the value that you can drive on top of it right and so that value more and more is going to come from the ability of windows to play with other platforms and the experience that the cloud and intelligence that microsoft has uh, builds on top of that Right. So that I can pick up, you know, a PC or a, a tablet or a phone. And if I'm using Office is that seamless experience. And it, I don't think twice about what computer I'm going to pick up, but also opens up new opportunities for uh, Microsoft. If you think about what they're doing with, for instance, uh, Surface Hub or HoloLens and, you know, whenever they decide to bring that, if ever, to more of a consumer play as well as a business play. So there's more opportunity there rather than less that includes hardware as well. I think the question is more, you know, where do their partners play? I think that's yes. the part that is more unclear, right, when mm-hmm. it comes to Windows. I have no, you know, I never thought that that uh, Microsoft doesn't care about uh, Windows 10 and whatever going to come next. But it, the question is, okay, if uh, now the the value comes on top of it from everything else that they have, where does that leave, you know, Dell, Lenovo, HP? That's re- yeah, it's a really interesting mm-hmm. question. It, it is funny how just give it enough time and you will you will see your assumptions about uh, everything that's a given change, mm-hmm. right? Like this is the old day of like IBM is the biggest thing ever. And, you know, who could ever imagine? And then IBM is not IBM anymore. And Microsoft, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. It's like what how we define Microsoft and its PC business and the idea that, well, Microsoft's never going to make its own hardware. It's like, all right, well, it's going to make its own hardware, but it's also going to work with partners. And it's like, is it? <laughs> is is that going to be its focus or is it not now? Because if they know the best way forward for Windows and Windows products is a more unified design, then that totally changes their relationship with their partners. Yeah, that's something I thought about a whole lot, too, with uh, some of the one-on-ones I had where uh their goal is to get um, enterprises up and running with as little uh, with, with with as little effort as possible, and then their goal is to help provision a hardware for people with as little effort as possible. And I thought these are entire job categories that rose, and people did really well and thrived in these spaces in uh, throughout the eighties and nineties and oddies. And um, things are shifting, right? Yeah. Enabled by Microsoft and its choices, yes. and now it was a, it was mm. it was effectively you know I, I I wouldn't say remoras, but you know you think about how entire ecosystems uh, spring up because you have 
you know, your, your crocodile. And then there's the egrets that benefit by, you know, eating the fish leftovers around the crocodiles and things like that. And then all of a sudden the crocodile's like, you know what? I'm changing my diet. And it's like, wait, what? You're doing what now? Yeah, you, you heard <laughs> but, it here first. But, the crocodile is on a diet. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about al- my hotel was next to a place that had live baby alligators that you could feed. And so I'm, I'm obviously in that headspace right now. <laughs> oh, wow. Yikes. It's Florida. Like, Forget just it. It's Florida. Sidewalk. Like you'd walk by on the sidewalk. There's this big pond with these little alligators just kind of drifting around. And Seems like, a like every idea. once, every once in a while, like one of them lift their head and go and, and, and hiss and, and people would like lower bits of chicken. It was unnerving. <laughs> Again, forget it. It's Florida. All right. I want to ask Shahid what he thinks about Microsoft. But first, (laughs) let me take a really brief break to tell you about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by our brilliant friends over at Pingdom. Pingdom is brilliant because they help keep your sites and the sites you love online. They monitor your site so you don't have to. Just like how we watch the tech news headlines so you don't have to. They monitor your website all the time so you don't have to sit there going reload is it my site up reload is my site up that's uh, really boring and it's better for a robot to do that and pingdom has the robots they give you real-time feedback too so you know exactly what's going on at any time because while the internet is awesome and running a site on the internet in the cloud is awesome stuff breaks computers can betray you pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month more than 400,000 a day if you do the math that's a lot of failure on the internet doesn't matter if you're a startup doesn't matter if you're a huge fortune 500 company you need to be alerted about any critical website issues they let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of an outage plus they'll track and analyze your website's load times so you can see what might be affecting user experience so it might not even be a matter of up or down it might be something that's lagging something that's serving slowly those can be really really hard to suss out yourself but pingdom will do it for you so if you have a site of any size you need pingdom and they have a no fuss approach to getting started give them the url of the site you want to monitor that's it they take care of the rest go to pingdom.com slash relay fm right now you'll get a 14-day free trial no credit card required and when you sign up use the code download to check out you'll get a huge 30 percent off your first invoice that's download at checkout thanks to pingdom for their support of download and all of relay fm all right shahid uh you have feelings about microsoft don't you i used to love microsoft microsoft were my favorite company in computing back in the late 80s, early 90s. They were acquiring uh, an enormous number of developers and growing exponentially. They were creating the future of computing. The 32-bit world, for me, was, I think, their, their absolute pinnacle. They were establishing amazing coding standards and quality standards driven by some of the best evangelists the world has ever seen. And they lost their mojo uh, and they entered the wilderness. And I think this started to happen as Bill Gates started to become a bit more interested in his legacy. Uh, And I mean that in a good way, because the guy is an outstanding individual with the philanthropy he's doing at the moment and the positive spin he's doing and the progress in the world. I think it's more the Balmer years where the company lost its soul, if you can put it that way. And Nadella is a very thoughtful, very contemplative man. He talks about meditation. He talks about soul. You know, he he was, of course, an evangelist. And uh, from his book, I, I loved this. He said, now here I was evangelizing the notion that we needed to rediscover our soul. The mission of a company is in many ways a statement about its soul. 
And that's where I went first. That's astonishing. How many CEOs of extremely large companies talk in that manner? And he allowed the company to be open. He allowed the company to explore. R&D was given more of a focus. And yes, he did say mobile and cloud is going to be something we've got to move towards extremely quickly. And remember, we're talking about 2014, 2015, that kind of time. It's quite a while ago. But what he also did was say, we're going to find interesting ways of working with partners. He talked about how he was going to allow people to look for the new thing and for the company to be supple and agile enough to see the new thing when it came. Thus, more emphasis on AI and all kinds of R&D efforts. And they're now being seen as the good guys in software. Probably not as good as Apple in some respects. Apple take, takes its uh, knocks for being huge, of course. That's leader's privilege or leader's curse. But Microsoft are not trashing the environment. They're extremely involved in the software environment of the world, contributing code left, right, and center. And this seems to have come from the top. You know, the culture of the company has shifted in the last four or five years. And it has been driven by Nadella's internal evangelism. And I, I just see the hardware as a reflection of the potential endpoints of the company's new philosophy. So I don't see it as a static thing. I don't, I don't see it as, um, as simple as Surface now replaces PC, and therefore that's what the next 10, 15 years are going to be like. Cycles don't work like that anymore. Next year, that will be a completely out-of-date concept. <laughs> but I, you know, but, but I, I see it as, as a really powerful and expressive and innovative way of expressing where the company thinks software and hardware is going. Does, does it matter where hardware is? You know, that their argument is it's more about interface. It's more about user experience than where the hardware lives, whether the hardware is local to you, whether it's pervasive, like the Internet of Things, or whether it's cloud-based, doesn't matter. And I find that an interesting contrast compared to Apple, where Apple have double down on stuff like AI, but for all of that compute resource to be available locally in the iPhone. Now, the latest iPhone is staggeringly better in the camera department. It shocked me. I really didn't expect that to happen. But then you look at, you look at Microsoft with this 50-inch screen that looks like it will totally eliminate whiteboards forever, and therefore I will be in heaven. <laughs> and that's also an extremely powerful way Mm-hmm. Of saying, no, actually, computing is it. And, and you know what? That device would work just as well if computing was available remotely for the most part. And the only, the only local stuff you had was the screen responsiveness because that's what it's about. So there is a, there is obviously a cultural difference between Apple and Microsoft. But I think Microsoft have done a really great job of setting themselves up as the alternative good guys. Yeah, I um, I want to mention a story. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. Farad Manju wrote a state-of-the-art piece on the New York Times this week that I thought was really good. And it's called How Apple Thrived in a Season of Tech Scandals. And while I was reading it, I actually thought you could throw Microsoft in this category, too, which is right. there are so many issues with the tech industry now that are based on these business models where you give everything away and you use data and you mine the data and that's how you make your money, whether it's by advertising or or, you know, or whatever means that you're doing. In the end, 
that's what it's about. And Manju's point, and he says, I, look, I, I, he says, I'm not, not Apple's biggest fan here, but Apple's business model means that they can, they, they are not playing the same game. And yeah. the same is true for Microsoft, where Microsoft's uh, idea here is to enable businesses. Businesses have money. They will pay for the features. They will pay to enable these features. And therefore, yeah, viewed it a certain way, they're on the side of good in the tech industry in a way that some of these other giant companies aren't because they have chosen this other path where they need your data and they need to watch your movements because they need to sell you to someone else. Um, and it's interesting how suddenly we put Microsoft and Apple on one side together. Hmm. Strange. What a world we live in. I, I don't think any company sets out to be evil. But I think they have to be very careful about the business model decisions they make early on. Some specifically say they won't be evil. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a commonality in the leadership, though, because Nadella and um, Cook both uh, had the task of stepping in and steering the company after uh, the departure of an extraordinarily high profile and influential person who was basically considered the soul of the brand. Um, it's true that you did have Balmer as a CEO, but he was always kind of regarded as a, as a, I wouldn't say kind of regarded, but he was never really seen as a, as a successor. He was always just kind of a placeholder. And with Nadella and Cook, you have two executives who obviously spent a lot of time learning the company inside and out, both from a, um, strict both both from a high level product positioning and conception standpoint but also from the practical how do we connect to our customers get them what they want um you know cook was in cook was in the what logistics right he was coo for a while yeah yeah operations guy yeah so cook was an operations guy nadella was came up through the sales organization you know he's a guy who got an mba in secret on weekends while also working full-time for tech um so you had people who had really holistic views of the business and a tendency to look at the company and ask what am i going to do with this company in a way that um in a way that preserves what made it special at the founding, but also runs it like a business. And I think in a way, having to pick up the mantle or perpetuate a legacy somebody has laid down may have given them a bit of a leadership advantage that companies like, say, Google or Facebook don't have because they're still very much in a first generation founder leadership mindset. So there might be something to that. Um, we're only now seeing the impact of successive generations of tech CEOs and where they drive their companies. And I think if you're Microsoft and Apple and you have the benefit of having been around for a few decades and lived through one technological transformation that you caused, you are probably a little more thoughtful about the next one because you understand the opportunities and the pitfalls in front of you. And you also may take it a little bit more seriously because you've seen what's happened already. But this point about the business model is is critical, like because if you look at even what they said, um, Nadella said it as part of the keynote. We don't want to own your data. We don't want to brand everything that we are a part of. That is, is you know, very different from what uh, others are trying to do with both data and branding. Right? Not everything has to be. Cortana that has a voice or is a bot. Not everything that comes through our cloud we have to see is your data. You use it how you want it. And if you are doing anything with an agent, is your agent. We are want to be the enabler. Well, because you're getting paid to be the enabler, right? Versus 
I need to be that voice because I want the final user to hear that voice and have affinity with that brand. So it is is a very, very different play that, you know, helps them be in the good side. All right. We, uh, this is so great, uh, from Florida and elsewhere, <laughs> information about Microsoft. We have more topics, though, we're going to talk about. And before we do that, I want to tell you about our next sponsor. This episode is brought to you in part by Linode. With Linode, you have an ac- access to a suite of powerful hosting options. Speaking of the cloud, with prices starting at $5 a month, and you can be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in less than a minute. Um, Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers. They're all taken care of by a friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them. You can call them. You can chat over IRC in the Linode community. They know how important it is to get the help you want. They've got a suite of amazing guides. There's support documentation, so you have references whenever you need it. They have this innovative, intuitive, helpful control panel that lets you deploy, boot, resize, snapshot, and clone your virtual servers in a few clicks. I have a Linode server. I use it all the time. The dashboard, I, you know, I am not super comfortable running uh, a, a server in the cloud, but the control panel makes it easy because I'm just clicking on things in the web page to get my server to do what I want. They've got two-factor authentication so you can stay safe as well. Uh, pricing is amazing. Like, it used to cost so much to run your own server on the internet 24-7 in a data center, and now a Linode plan, you can get one gig of RAM in the server for $5 a month. $5 a month. Okay, now you got a server on the internet. What will you do with it? And they've got high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of RAM. My entire business is on a Linode server, and the price I pay is hilariously small for my entire business infrastructure. As a listener to this show, you can sign up at linode.com slash download FM. You'll support us, but you're also going to get something for yourself. $20 toward any Linode plan. Let me do the math there. Uh, that's four free months of the one gig RAM plan. So check it out. And there's a seven day money back guarantee. So there's nothing to lose. Go to linode.com slash download FM. You can learn more, sign up and use that $20 credit or just use the promo code when you check out download FM 2018 and you'll get that $20 credit. Thank you to Linode for keeping my literally my entire infrastructure running day to day and for supporting download. All right, moving on to our next topic. Uh, Instagram's founders quit. (laughs) <laughs> this week, six years after Facebook bought the company for a billion dollars. By the way, people t- keep talking about it being, oh, they what a deal. At the time, it was like a billion dollars for Instagram. What? And now, in hindsight, <laughs> we're all like, what a deal they got. I will say, 700 million of that was Facebook stock, which is currently worth about $4 billion. So maybe a little bit. Uh, they, 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 they got more money than maybe we were thinking. Um, Monday night, Kevin Seistrom and Mike Krieger were, uh, you know, reported to be leaving. It was confirmed by a company blog post. They say they want to take some time away and then they're going to create something new. Mark Zuckerberg said very much the same thing, calling them extraordinary product leaders and wishing them all the best and looking forward to what they build next. Uh, at Over at Stratechery, Ben Thompson had a great take on this. He said, and I'll, I'll just quote Ben here, letting Facebook build the business may have made Seistrom and Krieger rich and freed them to focus on product, but it did make Zuckerberg the true CEO, and inevitably CEOs call all the shots. The idea here is when they sold Instagram, it didn't have a business model. So 
Zuckerberg's in a way always been the CEO of Instagram. Um, and another very smart thing that Ben uh, pointed out is at this point in its life, uh, the product innovation that they're that they were really great at is not necessarily going to be the determining factor in the future of Instagram's success. Uh, they did IGTV; it didn't really work. Uh, but Instagram's size and its and 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 the impact it makes and how you navigate the business given that size that's more of a CEO job anyway. So uh, kind of a, it's an interesting moment. They're going to go off and do something else. Um, Facebook has been under so much pressure, uh, and yet Instagram has shown growth, and people like Instagram in a way they don't like Facebook. So what does everybody think this means for Instagram, the product, uh, the company, uh, Facebook? You know, is Facebook going to mess it up? Is it going to be okay? I'm curious what you all think about what is going to happen next with Instagram. Let's start with Shahid. The leader drives the culture in any large organization, in any small organization. And that that quote, absolutely spot on. What's happened here is that they've seen Instagram, that the former uh, founders, or the soon-to-be former founders, depending on how long it takes for them to leave, have found that the product has actually improved largely under their watch, but possibly even more so under Zuckerberg's. It might have changed. There might have been a shift in in resources put towards Instagram, because if I'm correct in recalling, the team that got bought out for a billion was 18 strong. So my guess is they've had a lot more resources put on the team since then as well. It's kind of like Instagram's like the the rose-tinted glasses of social media. Very, you know, very hard to see anything bad. Uh, if if you, I, I can't think of a better expression to use in bad. It's a very nebulous term. You know, there's not too much hate on Instagram, for example. There are not too many feuds. There, there are a few over here. We've seen some over here. We've seen some rappers do some really weird stuff. But in general, it seems to be a positive environment. And I don't think you should take away any credit from Zuckerberg in facilitating that. He, it is a duel in Facebook's empire. And will it change massively? I don't know. Zuckerberg's not a stupid guy. He did appear in front of a lot of legislators around the world. I don't think he ever saw Facebook turning into a two billion user company. I don't think anyone in the world saw that happening. Um, he might have been shooting notionally for a billion. So the guy's not stupid. He will not destroy Instagram. And the other question I have is how long does it take for Facebook stock to vest? for these guys. Is it possible that they just hit their <laughs> vesting period at six years and thought, you know what, this is cool. We've done this. We want to do something else. It might not be acrimonious. And for me, the clue comes from Zuckerberg saying, I look forward to hearing uh, about their next creation. He doesn't normally put out a statement like that. Um, I think his disagreement with the WhatsApp founder uh, is a lot less um, shall we say friendly? I, I, actually, not the founder, the co-founder. I think yeah, it was th- true. Yeah, he uh, he tweeted about deleting Facebook after the Cambridge Analytica scandal mm-hmm. and left and right. left like a billion dollars in stock on the table. You know, Zuckerberg has got the luxury of being reasonably honest, reasonably straightforward, and he's been reasonably honest and straightforward. So I suspect. These guys have seen Instagram become really great under Zuckerberg. It's not been messed around with. You know what? I actually bought something off uh, an Instagram advert recently. It was useless, but you know, it, <laughs> the advertising works because I feel in a good mood when I'm scrolling through that uh, list. Whereas when I'm scrolling through a Facebook feed, um, yeah, I feel pretty depressed. So that's a, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's really weird. How does that happen? Same company, 
And here I am scrolling through Facebook feed and I'm thinking, oh, I really got to get off this. And Instagram, oh yeah, I'll buy this about 20 pictures down. So he's not going to destroy that. He's not crazy. In fact, things might be pushed more towards Instagram as well. So I, the way I see this is it's an amicable separation. It's quite possible that the founder's stock in Facebook has vested. It's, it's usually what, three years for half of it, six years for all of it. They've had a reasonably good relationship. Their baby has grown up now. They don't really need to be doing anything on Facebook anymore, certainly not after six years. So well done to, to everyone involved. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the next thing. But you know, it, will they pull off another Instagram? Who knows? I doubt it. I don't know if he was as amicable as uh, as you believe. Uh, there was a really interesting article from Casey Newton at The Verge who mm-hmm. went through kind of um, showing how Facebook is usually very good when there's, you know, high level executive departing. They handle everything very well so that, you know, there's not too much speculation. And and there were a lot of things that here look more like a scramble um, and things that they usually do that they have not done in this case, like post on uh, their personal profile on Facebook. Uh, Mark does that all the time. He didn't do that. Um, and, and, you know, saying, I look forward to seeing what you're doing. Yeah, I'm sure he wants to know what they're doing. I don't know. And, and to be honest with you, to some extent, I don't know if it matters so much, but I think what you're saying about not being stupid and and seeing how different the product that Instagram is, is is critical because there are a lot of people that are leaving Facebook and not Instagram, right? The 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 whole idea of, you know, I'm on Facebook and I'm depressed, which most people are, right? Because there's politics, there's fake news, there's just so much that people are less engaged. Um, I started using Instagram recently. I, you know, created an account a long time ago and um, uh, I realized that actually I use mostly Facebook for sharing pictures. So why not doing it on uh, on Instagram instead? And I have friends that have both that I never see on Facebook that are very, very active on Instagram. So there's definitely some goodness there that I think um, Zuckerberg could take advantage of. Is, is that line of how much, you know, if you're learning awfully, from Facebook and what is going wrong there. One of the reasons why I think Instagram works more is because there's less words and more pictures, right? Which was what the platform was intended for. Um, it is going to try really hard to benefit from it. Exactly the point that you were making about, I'm happier. I saw an ad, I bought it. It was useless, but I, you know, I was still not upset about it versus I see something on Facebook. And I, I don't want to go from after reading, you know, whatever it is, the latest politics, I go, oh, let me go and buy a blender that I just saw. <laughs> it's, it just doesn't work. I don't know. I, I might want to buy a blender to blend my eyes after I've read Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a cleansing, um, <laughs> cleansing <laughs> delivery service. <laughs> well, this is, this is what I wonder about is, um, there's a lot of people and businesses making money off of Instagram. And I wonder if there's some sort of internal thing where the question is, why aren't we 
the beginning and end of those business models instead. Um, Instagram has in many ways replaced a lot of traditional ad buys and people who do marketing and advertising for a living have discovered that it's actually a wonderful way to outsource a lot of what they do uh, instead of buy, instead of having to pay an ad agency to come up with a campaign, place that campaign in glossy media magazines, time it carefully, do media bias, things like that. You can work out something with um, an aspiring quote unquote influencer where they do a crazy amount of work. They're entirely responsible for conception, production, publication, and engagement. They're the ones who are on the hook for the metrics and you spend comparatively little money. Um, and Facebook's got a very good advertising business. Um, it, it provides a, it's a huge revenue engine for them. And I wonder if they're looking at Instagram and going, how did this happen where this, this advertising economy is not something that we own all the way down, but rather something that, uh, the users are able to do (laughs) instead. I mean, that it's, it's, I'm I'm always granted it might be I realize it's a business centric take as opposed to a user centric take. And like everybody else on this podcast, my Instagram feed is, is basically, Oh, that's nice. Like I follow a lot of, I I follow a lot of national parks. I follow a lot of, I follow a lot of people who camp a lot. So (laughs) I'm like, Oh, it's a waterfall. Oh, it's a remote mountain. Um, and there's actually like a separate uh, problem where Instagram has actually like made the outdoors a terrible place to be uh, because people are trampling through and like tagging things in national parks. And that's awful. But um, it's like Instagram is nice. And you go on Facebook and you're like, oh, good. Someone I used to sit next to in Spanish class in high school is sharing their political opinions again. Why don't I manage this better? Um, Facebook feels like work in a way that Instagram does not. And Yes, that's great. But at the same time, I don't think anyone at Facebook is like, I love that we have a social service where people feel good. Um, I think they're probably going to be like, we need to figure out how to leverage this audience and their engagement and their money. And um, they may not feel like they've gotten a lot of bang for their buck yet. Then again, they might think, I love that we've got a social service where people don't hate us. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, we'll we'll keep watching, of course, uh, because that's a big story. We have a little more Facebook talk, by the way, coming up. But uh, before we get there, I want to talk about the story you might have missed just quickly. A story may have flown under your radar this week that's worth mentioning. I know this may come as a shock, but sometimes hardware Kickstarter projects don't go as planned. What? The latest entry on this sad list is the $1,299, you heard me, Move Hoverboard, created by a company called Radical Transport. Uh, which was backed by Mark Cuban. The hoverboard was made uh, to be made with a unibody aluminum design to prevent flexing, and we assume to help the thing from bursting into flames like other por- hoverboards did back in the day. The company raised $75,000 and promised the move would ship by the 2017 holiday season. Well, turns out Mark Cuban and the company ran into patent issues with their design. Patents are killing hoverboards, people. Cuban said he would rather <laughs> avoid the inevitable legal battles than ship the product, so the Kickstarter battles, this is the good news, the Kickstarter backers have been refunded i'll tell you the hardware projects i backed on kickstarter did not get refunded (laughs) so uh that that's i guess a happy thing but the the sad thing to take away is yes your patents why are why don't we have better hoverboards you aren't asking and the answer is because because of patent law patent law is ruining hoverboards um anyway back to facebook for topic number three oculus owned by facebook speaking of facebook buying companies this week 
Uh, Oculus announced the Oculus Quest. It's a $399 standalone VR headset using very similar touch controllers to those found with the Oculus Rift, which requires being tethered to a beefy gaming PC. This is not like the Oculus Go, which costs $199 um, and is a, a sort of based on last generation consumer uh, smartphone technology. This is a beefier unit, but it co- although it costs $399, just like the Rift, uh, it is not attached to a computer. It is a standalone device, um, and it is... Uh, is wireless it's got four wide angle sensors that look for edges corners and features in the room around you so it can create a 3d map of the environment it was demoed working in a 4,000 square foot area at the press event uh i'll guess i'll use it in my 4,000 square foot room that i don't have in my house which is l- less than <laughs> half that size um it's got spatial audio to direct sound into your ears without the need of headphones uh facebook says it wants to see a billion vr users in the coming years and it seems that this tech is designed to make vr more comfortable and flexible for people who don't want to buy a super high test gaming pc in order to get a vr experience now shahid i know loves vr stuff and has done a lot of stuff with vr and vr games um and i'm curious what you think about this announcement of a 399 standalone oculus headset uh, well obviously as a developer i've known about the device for a while and i think a lot of people who are not in development known about it for quite a while as the santa cruz um development right. hardware uh, so not a not a massive surprise. What is a surprise is it's a lot cheaper than I expected. Yeah, three ninety nine uh, is a big surprise. So I had to do a little bit of digging to work out why uh, it was so cheap. And the, the chipset they're using is a Qualcomm Snapdragon eight three five, which is slightly more powerful um, than the average cell phone, but not really that much. So something like. Um, uh, a Galaxy S8 that uses a, a an 835. So by the time it comes out, because it's what early 2019, it's coming out, it might not feel particularly quick. Okay, so you eliminate a whole bunch of bandwidth issues. You eliminate the cables. You don't get a whole lot more power than a Go. Uh, the Go is probably S6 kind of S7 uh, Samsung level, um, but it is noticeable. And the best part for me is. The Go, of course, is three degrees of freedom, whereas the uh, guess, the Quest is six degrees of freedom. And that, for me, is the game changer. Once you go untethered with just about enough performance and six degrees of freedom, that's the VR that you want. You know, this is the VR that you are looking for. In, in terms of overall visual experience, it won't be as good as Rift. It will sit somewhere between Go and Rift. But... Compared to a Rift, it's going to be a lot more comfortable physically as opposed to visually because there's nothing to attach to, which is just, I mean, you know, once you started wearing uh, an untethered headset, your first question is, okay, why does it look so bad and why doesn't it feel that um, that VR-like as I was expecting? Well, it's because you've got three degrees of freedom. You know, your, your movement around, around three degrees um, that you would normally expect as a human are not available to you. And so you learn to sit down on one of those uh, swivel chairs and just use that to get your kicks. Um, <laughs> six degrees makes all the difference. So this is the first one to do it. Uh, it will be an, uh, a good experience, not a great experience. It will certainly not be um, as good as, um, I would imagine, Vive. Uh, certainly not as good as the professional versions. But it will be good enough for most people. It'll certainly be a huge step up from Go, mostly because of the six degrees of freedom, but partly because of visual quality. So it's a great, I think it's a really great announcement. 
It's a major um, step forward, and that price is amazing. Now they just need the content. You know, there is not that much great content in VR. There are a few standout games, but we need more of a, a catalogue, I think, before more people become interested. At three nine nine, though, it's going to be it's going to be amazing. As someone who has thought about uh, getting uh, VR something and hasn't, this is the this is the one that made me really sit up and take notice because the Go, I was like, that doesn't that didn't appeal. It seemed you know kind of like uh, less than impressive and this one's like this might be good enough because i'm not i don't have a high-end gaming pc nor am i going to invest you know a thousand two thousand dollars in equipment to get me to that point so the idea that i could just take uh, a single box right for 399 and have a vr headset i i think it's got a lot of appeal i think i think it sounds really interesting to me but i think the appeal is is that freedom right um of not being tethered to something because I have a Rift and I used it, I don't know, 10 times. Um, a little bit because of the content and a little bit because uh, once I put all the sensors and whatnot and then the dogs come in the room and he trips on the <laughs> cable or I trip on the cable, you know, I have to create a, a dog-free zone and all of that. Um it's just cumbersome. And then I tried and played with the Lenovo Mirage Solo, uh, which is similar to Go as far as uh, Oculus Go, as far as uh, the, the quality. And, and I totally agree that we're not quite there as far as, uh, yeah, it's like, okay, you get some of the freedom, but there's a lot of compromise, right, that you are um, signing up for for 350 bucks, which is a big investment for most consumers. And I think, you know, it's, it, we are in that um, chicken and egg situation where there's not a lot of content there because there are not a lot of people, there are not a lot of people because there's not a lot of content. And so you're saying, okay, I, I am investing 350 bucks for what exactly? Um, and because it's not something that you use all the time, it's not like you're investing in a, you know, 4K TV that you watch for, I don't know how many hours a day or, you know, a thousand dollars for a phone that does so many things for you. It, it, it's a hard sell still for your average consumer. So the more barriers you take away, uh, the better that selling point is going to be. Um, I'm surprised that they didn't tackle the controllers. I'd be interested to see uh, what the thoughts are here, because for me, that is one big part of why I still feel the experience is not very natural. Um, something like a glove would make the whole experience much more um, immersive. And, and I'm curious that they haven't done anything there. It's probably because the price point doesn't allow them to, um, you know, from from a, if you're trying to save money on the headset, you're not going to then going to spend $250 for a set of, you know, fancy controllers. It, it does come with the touch controllers, right? Yeah, but I don't like those. <laughs> the, those are currently the best around. And of course, there are compromises and it's it's kind they're kind of technical you know you've got all these buttons all over the place you do and and that's what i'm saying they come in the way of your experience don't you think it's, it's not very no, natural no i don't I, th I don't think they come in the way of the experience i think it's the way they've been uh they've been programmed by a lot of people um to use more of the 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 buttons than is necessary which is very uh, hard to get right okay. you know if if you had an experience that focused almost entirely on the grip and no face buttons at all. 
then I think it becomes better. Yes, I mean, they're, they're all going to be clunky. There, there are the new Knuckles controllers for the Vive. I don't know if they're out yet. I've got a, a sample of them. And they're, they're okay, you know. Uh, the glove is going to be a while, I think, because you're going to want haptics in there uh, so that it feels like you're actually manipulating real things. And that's going to be expensive. People are working on these things, of course. But you're right. right. The input is the most how you feel the world, right. as well as how you direct things in the world, is still a big problem. And then, of course, yeah. there's still the problem of sickness as well. So, <laughs> you know, it's early stages. We got, I, I mean, I was asked this by, um, the, the president of uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment Europe, um, when, when I was helping to bring VR content to PSVR for launch. And he asked me if I thought it was, it was a goer. <laughs> a goer, not as in the nation, but as in, is this a viable prospect? <laughs> it's a bit, a bit London, that expression. I hope it translates. But, yeah, but I said, well, it's going to get the hardcore audience the very hardcore, but it's going to be three generations before it's interesting. And I I see this as second generation. In fact, maybe more one point five generation 1.5. I think generation 1.5 is a fair assessment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you, you, there are still so many things that need to be fixed. And then, are, then there are the unfixables that can only be managed. But, you know, we have to remember, not everybody can play first-person shooters on a 2D display. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people who just get sick by playing games on a standard screen, never mind VR. And my suspicion is that those people who find it difficult to play uh, traditional 2D games with a first-person camera are probably have a good cross-section with the people who find VR troublesome as well. You know, I'm married to somebody who gets sick every time he has to do a VR demonstration. <laughs> and what's really unfortunate is his com is is his publications now asking him to do more. <laughs> but I'm going to ask about the uh, first person shooter thing too cuz the thing I always wonder about is how these companies are um measuring human response or what kind of understanding they actually have of the way people process stimuli and physically react to it. Cause you're, you're basically tricking your brain into accepting a whole new set of stimuli and trying to process them the same way you would as you're moving through the world. Have any of these headsets gotten to a point yet where the user's not at some point always hyper aware that this is an unreal environment and does that affect the experience i wonder oh yeah loads of I, I think loads of people are very happy with the feeling of being there that they get and they can get it within seconds and there have been a lot of studies done on how humans perceive the world mm -hmm. around them and the virtual world and the interesting thing is just how poorly we perceive the real world that the visual system is actually doing hacks all the time yeah yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That's a lot of data you'd have to handle. So yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are interesting studies that show we can only handle, I think there's some crazy low number, like mm -hmm. 21 bits of new information per frame. Mm. That's how much, because the rest is all being abstracted out, it's turned into mm -hmm. some kind of hierarchical model in the brain, you're doing some kind of heuristic or or some <laughs> human machine learning thing in your head to match stuff in the environment is how you get yeah, tricked. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to say, this is when, when people are skeptical about computational photography, I have to point out that, you know, your own vision is heavily, heavily neural processed, right? right. That it doesn't come straight out of the, out of the camera as it were that way. The, your brain is doing a lot of work too. Mm. Right. 
And there are still big wins to come, like foveated rendering, mm-hmm. which is another human hack as well. Right, which you is know, actually we, any Oculus Go is going to get an update to, to add mm-hmm. that, which should make that experience a little bit better, too. That was announced this week as well. We have hardware foveated tracking. You know, we have a macula <laughs> right in the center of our retina, and then we have the rest of our retina. But the, the periphery of the retina captures mm-hmm. nowhere near as much detail as the macula. So we're a bit of a hack, too. Oh, this is so fascinating. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, that's, and that's when you think about VR generations, that's one of the mm-hmm. clever ways of getting around necessarily. You don't have to necessarily represent everything as if we saw it in the real world. You just need to do right. a representation that your brain mm-hmm. interprets properly, which is you're hacking your brain. Um, yeah, it's uh, this is all fascinating stuff. So I, I, I will just say, uh, before we move on, um, this is the first VR product that I've actually thought I might buy. So 1.5 or version two, it's like the, okay, maybe this will be, we'll see what the reviews are, but maybe this will be decent enough and not require, because again, so many of these products have been, well, you already have a gaming PC or you already have a PlayStation that's uh, powerful enough to add the PSVR in. And I don't have those. And so I, I'm sort of sitting here going, well, we'll see. I'm kind of intrigued. And uh, $399, maybe, maybe. We'll see. Well, it's a long time to go as well, right? This is March 19th. Yeah, so that's right. let's see what mm-hmm. everybody else is doing. It won't be under the, the, the tree, for sure. Uh, before we go, I do like, although I thought this was really fun, I don't know if we really need the pick-me-up of the Fuzzy Puppy update, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, because we always do. Here's my story. Sydney, Australia, taxi driver, Syed Kaiser, was suspicious about the lady who jumped into his cab with a whining and agitated puppy. Something didn't seem right. Maybe we can all read cues about animals and their comfort with a person and vice versa i don't know in any event he thought something was wrong he asked the woman uh what the dog's name was and she said it was her father's and she didn't know despite previously when she got into the cab saying that the dog was hers they get to the destination and the cab driver basically i I guess she knew the jig was up because he offers to buy the dog from her for a hundred dollars and he'll throw in his nice pair of sunglasses and she says okay and hands the puppy to him and gets out of the car so okay so uh, he goes to a vet and to see if the puppy can be identified. Turns out, uh, guess what? There's even security camera video of this woman stealing this little lab puppy from a home in Western Sydney. The puppy is oh. named Charlie. He's been reunited with his family. And so what I'm saying is this isn't just a fuzzy puppy update. It's a fuzzy cab driver update. Syed Kaiser, the fuzzy puppy update salutes you for saving wow. that puppy from puppy mm-hmm. theft. I want to know, did he get his hundred bucks in his shades back? I was wondering. <laughs> I don't know. The, the, the reporting on this is all over the place. There are a bunch of different sort of Australia and New Zealand kind of uh, newspapers that have reported little bits of it and radio stations. And so I had to kind of piece it together. Uh, I hope he was rewarded in some way because mm-hmm. he did such a good job. I just love the fact that he was like immediately, I, I guess as a cab driver, right? You you st- learn to read human behavior. To read people, and, yeah. And you're like, mm-hmm. There's, this is not right. But to just see a lady, also a lady with a puppy just randomly jumps in your cab. It's weird. Um, um, he figured it out. So and the, and the puppy was reunited with his people. So that's awesome. So that's my fuzzy puppy update for this but week. An actual fuzzy puppy. It, I there's love a, it. there is a fuzzy. Well, not always, but often there's a fuzzy puppy update uh, with a fuzzy puppy in it. By the way, just a piece of advice again for everybody: don't search news for puppy or dog because I am doing the work of going through all the terrible <laughs> stories that are out there Aww. to find the good ones. So just listen to me. Don't look at the internet. Listen to me about fuzzy puppies. Shahid Kamal Ahmad, thank you so much 
much uh, for talking to us about Microsoft and about Instagram and about VR, because I love it when you talk about VR, too. Thank you so much for being here. Jason, you lovely man. You can call me anything you like. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, Lisa Schmeiser, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and thank you for going to Florida so I didn't have to. Likewise, Carolina Milanese, <laughs> thank you for going to Florida and for being on. Happy to take one for the team. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Microsoft's like, yeah, what would be the furthest thing away from Seattle? I know. Florida. Uh, anyway, we will be here next week with more and more guests and more topics because the news never stops. But until then, we will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.